Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Catherine McNeil, a writer and theology student and second-time guest on our podcast. Catherine has just released a new book entitled Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. In our conversation, we talk about Jesus' call to love our enemies and the implications of this call on our lives today. We dig deep into the parable of the Good Samaritan and sift through issues of individual and systemic responsibility and talk about the unique ways we can practice this element of faith in university and professional settings. The thing I love best about Catherine's book and about our conversation is the way Catherine approaches this skill of loving others through a lens of spiritual formation, weaving it all together with practical exercises that enfold us in a place of spiritual safety. Catherine pastors readers and listeners through this journey with great care. And at the very end of our podcast, she even offers some fresh thoughts on loving others in relationship to Russia's war on Ukraine, a world event that began just days before we recorded this episode. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Catherine McNeil writes about the creative and redemptive work of God in our real and ordinary lives. She is the author of Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies, Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood is a Spiritual Discipline, and All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. Catherine studies theology while caring for three kids, two jobs, and one enormous garden. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Catherine, you have written a book about some of the most challenging teachings of Jesus, the call to love our enemies, and you frame it around this process that begins by examining our fears. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the origin of this book and what prompted you to explore these ideas. Well, you know, I actually was in a seminar a few years ago, um, and it was about looking at kind of the biological and psychological dimensions of fear and how it it changes our brain chemistry and it changes um, just all of the kind of different science, scientific and psychosocial aspects of fear. And I just sat there, you know, drinking it in really fascinated, but thinking, what would it be like to explore this from a spiritual formation perspective? Um, how, how is this forming us, not just biologically or chemically, but how is all of that function forming us spiritually? And especially as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, how, how is being truly marinating um, our brains, our bodies, the fact that we are marinating in fear, how does that impact the way we follow Jesus or even our ability to hear Jesus' voice? 
Um, when I look at the Bible, what I find is that Jesus and his followers are living in incredibly unsafe environments, in heading into very unsafe scenarios. And they are not marinating in fear. They are not constantly warning each other about all that could go wrong. Um, of course, there is, there's plenty of misunderstanding uh, between Jesus and his right. disciples, but ultimately through the, through the resurrection and, and through so much of what happens with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, they, they, they do eventually learn to keep their eyes on this joy, this love, this gift from God that is greater than all of our fears, that overcomes our fears, as Jesus said, that overcomes even death, not by making them safer, but by being louder, by being more real and mm -hmm. more more worthy of attention. And that's where the kingdom was born. And so I, I came at this from a spiritual uh, formation perspective. Given the scientific data that we are truly marinating in fear, um, how does that impact our ability to follow Jesus or even to read the Bible? It's so true. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that you you kind of draw through your book is the connection of fear and behaviors that exclude others trying to insulate ourselves. So can you talk a little bit more about your decision to, to take that angle and to help it to explain some of our, our isolating behaviors? Yeah. I, as I kind of already mentioned, I, I wanted to look at the way that our fears are hindering us from following Jesus. And it was really evident to me, kind of a gap in tone, a, a discrepancy, um, uh, some cognitive dissonance maybe between what I'm hearing in my own spirit and thoughts, in conversations with friends, um, in Christian radio, podcasts, sermons, books, magazines, and the news, certainly, mm -hmm. and all of that. <laughs> and, and the the tone that I hear in the Bible. Um, I hear, again, Jesus and his followers in incredibly unsafe scenarios, but Jesus is not saying, here's how to, how to fight or flight. Here's how to flee or how to protect yourself. Jesus is saying, well, what are the two most important things? The first one is love God with everything that you are. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when he's questioned about what that means, he expands into this story that we call the Good Samaritan, in which um, it's, a, it's an incredible story to unpack. And uh, it was really, really kind of life-changing for me to spend, you know, a year of writing and editing time, really digging into that story. Um, and I encourage, I encourage you to, to do the yeah. same. And I, I, I try to do a lot of that in the book if, if someone's interested in picking it up. But in, when asked, well, okay, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story of a man who's traveling down a dangerous road. You know, we know the story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell sure, it a little sure. bit. Um, Jesus tells a story of a man traveling down this dangerous road. And sure enough, he's, he's robbed and attacked and left for dead. And the good news is, is that two men come by and they're both described in ways that for Jesus' audience, they would understand that these are the truly godly people. These are the ones who have really set their lives on this mission to love God and to love their neighbors, their priests, their clergy, their holy men. 
but they uh, see what could possibly be a dead body and that would create a lot of problems mm -hmm. for them. You know, they've had to go through ritual cleaning. Uh, they, it, the, it seems that caring for this man would actually detract from God's mm. work, that going out of their way to take care of this, the stranger who is in distress would actually be an impediment to worshiping God and to serving God. And so they, they carry on. But then a third man comes by and to the people who, the way Jesus describes this third man, the people listening would immediately recognize him as not a neighbor, <laughs> very much a stranger from another country, um, from a group of people that was hated, despised, looked down upon, literally an enemy and actually even literally a heretic. They believed very different things about God and they were constantly in conflict about that. But because this man who was a stranger and an enemy saw a fellow human in need and sacrificially, not because he had plenty of time and plenty of money and was very safe and could afford to do so, none of those things were true. He was just as much in danger, um, but he sacrificially saw a fellow in need and did what was necessary to save his life. And Jesus said, this person this man that you consider a heretic because he does not believe the right things about God, does not worship God the way you do, this person who is your literal enemy whom you've been taught to hate, he's the one who has pleased me, who has loved his neighbor as himself, who therefore has loved God and who therefore will gain eternal life. And that's a mic drop moment for Jesus right there that I think we kind of water down when we tell that story because Jesus is just pushing through all of those exclusionary behaviors as you just described them to say um, the love that I'm inviting you to and calling you to for God, for your neighbor, it extends to strangers. It extends even to enemies. And um, there's, there's no loophole there. It's just pour my love out on anyone that you see who's in need. That's, that's something to sit with. Yeah, <laughs> It really is. Well, and it, you know, in your book, you never really talk outright about politics, but there yeah. are, I mean, as I was reading these ideas continued to, to come up in my mind. Um, and I found myself imagining readers on different ends of the political spectrum and I think that there, there are places for growth, no matter where you land. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how, maybe tell us a little bit about how our current tense political climate in the United States influenced your, your thinking about this and your writing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I agree. I don't bring up politics directly. I think all of us um, struggle with fear mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm writing specifically to Christians, to people who want to follow Jesus. And we're going to find that in every country, every political party, but I've, I've done a lot of interviews, you know, as, as is normal for the book launch season. And I've had very, uh, very um, carefully specifically located <laughs> interviewers on both the right and the left who have picked up this book and are sure that I wrote this for their oh, enemies. Wow. Oh, <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they, people on the right who just need to talk about how dangerous and horrible people on the left are and people on the left who need to sit down and talk about how dangerous and horrible people on the right are. So it's interesting how everyone I've talked to has kind of seen um, 
the people they think need yeah. to hear this message. But I agree with you that it's for all of us. And um, I've heard from others too, who said, you know, I picked up this book thinking I would really resonate with how much I agreed that someone else needed to hear this, but it turns out it was for mm. me. Um, and as the writer, I have to say the same, you know, I, not that I have already attained all this, you mm -hmm. know, I, I think these are things we all wrestle with, but back to your question specifically about our current political state. Um, I do think that we, a lot of the energy that's fueling our politics and our political discourse in the United States right now is being formed to fear each mm -hmm. other and to view each other not as partners or as allies or as important corrective voices that we need to bounce off of each other, but as strangers with dangerous ideas and dangerous rhetoric um, such that we become enemies. And that is, unfortunately, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I can't say that it's entirely untrue, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a dangerous thing that we have all created together. And um, I think that if we're going to make any progress on any of the things that we deeply and profoundly value, we are going to need to learn to view each other as fellow humans, um, not using dehumanizing language to speak about each other, not um, tearing each other down behind each other's backs in order to pull up our own power, um, but to speak to each other as, as neighbors, <laughs> Um, even if we consider each other from different political perspectives to be strangers or even enemies. Um, otherwise, we're just going to keep on going down this path of, of creating evil and creating what we fear. I do talk about that a lot in the book, how so much of our fearful rhetoric maybe starts out unfounded, but it, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy and we create yeah. it. We create the things that we fear we become even the enemies that we fear are coming. Yeah. One thing that I really loved about your book is that you, you walk the reader into these difficult waters of self-reflection and, um, mm. and understanding, you know, a deeper understanding of how fear is affecting us. And then you give really practical exercises to, mm -hmm. as a kind of a stepping stone, um, to increase our sense of safety. Could you talk about those a little bit and maybe give an example of one? I just, I really like that part of your book. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. The book is broken into four sections. The first one looks at fear and love and how they kind of work in our, in our communities and in ourselves. The second looks at how that plays out with neighbors, the third, how it plays out with strangers, and the fourth, how it plays out with enemies. And at the end of every section, I have um, a segment called Brave Steps, where I have provided reflection and discussion questions and practices, and even some suggestions of songs or artwork that you could look up to, to, to meditate on as you're really working through this. Because I the book itself is kind of story-driven. I tell a lot of anecdotes and a lot of, look at a lot of Bible teachings, um, but I, I want it to move past just our heads and our imaginations. I want it to really get into who we are and into our own identities and our own conversations and our own actions. Um, so that's why I put these kind of practices and um, more practical things in. Um, 
one of the ones that that struck me as you were asking that is it's after the first section that's looking at fear and love and i'm just inviting the reader to find a place to sit down and ask what what am i afraid of um and to just really investigate that i think sometimes we are just so we're so busy or we're just always moving on to the next thing we're not even aware or conscious of the things that are forming us that are motivating us that are filtering into our decisions every day um, and if we could take the time to just sit with some of these things that are constantly going on in the background um, what is it that we're afraid of and and investigate that what what traumas are those stemming from or what voices or messages are we listening to um, and then I recommend taking some sort of a ritual step to release some of these fears back to God. Um, one thing that I've done is to go and sit by a lake with a handful of pebbles and just literally name these fears as I throw the pebbles into the lake, um, or to take strips of paper and write them down and place them in a bonfire. I've actually heard from some readers who, who got together with friends and, and did this practice together because I don't think we'll be able to overcome our fears with love until we're ready to face them and sit with them and investigate them. Um, so I think it maybe sounds counterintuitive to, to look our fears full in the face in order to be released from them, but I do think that's where we need to begin. I just, I think it makes so much sense. And I think it's such a gracious way to invite the reader into real personal spiritual transformation because you, you put forth mm -hmm. these, um, these amazing stories are, I mean, the, the anecdotes and stories you're talking about are so compelling and these biblical teachings. And I mean, I found myself coming up against inner resistance where I was like, ah, this mm -hmm. is really hard. And right at that moment, you stop and say, you know, this is tough and let's take a moment because this isn't something you can mm -hmm. do by yourself. It's something that the Holy spirit does in you. And let's, you know, here's a practice that you can that you can, uh, take yeah. on to allow the spirit to work. So I just think I, I really, I'm grateful for that. Oh, good. You know, I perfect love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that until we are connected to God's love in a profound way, uh, this is just going to make us anxious, but it can't be our fear of God that, well, <laughs> I actually talk a lot about what that means, the fear mm -hmm. of God. But if we're afraid of God, if we view God as punitive and punishing and always waiting for us to mess up, we will not be changed by perfect love to the degree that we can actually step into our fears. And so uh, I took so much care to make sure that every page of this book, <laughs> I, pray, I pray at least, I can't be certain, but I pray that every page of this book is bathed in God's grace and God's love, which is from beginning to end, unshakable, unwavering, never something that we have to earn. Um, and this is not a project that we will complete ever or on our own, um, but it is a project that we can contribute to together as a community. You know, if, if, if overcoming evil with love was something that could be done easily by one or two people, I don't think it would have taken us thousands of years. Right. <laughs> Um, to make it this far. So God's, God's grace is here. Uh, there's no falling short. There's just simply us doing what we can and making our little corner of the world that much more beautiful 
and life-giving for those around us. That is so beautiful. Catherine, I would love to take a minute and think about our listeners on this podcast who are mostly women connected with the academy and the professions. And this is kind Mm. of a different environment from the sort of example you give in your book, but this environment of academia and university setting, it's not free from fear and the need for courage. And I know you're, you're familiar with life in the academy. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, where would you say fear comes up in university settings and how can our listeners practice being brave? Wow, that's such a good question. I would ideally love to spend the first few days of answering that question by listening <laughs> to, to your listeners and, and hearing their stories. Um, but from my own perspective, I, um, I, I'm working on my second master's degree, so I haven't gone all the way through the PhD process or anything like that, but I am, I'm currently working on a master of divinity. And so I do have some, I do like to dip my toes into academia. Um, as I, as I think about that question, I think what strikes me is how many of our fears are truly rooted in ideology and in words and in language and in ideas. And um, how important it is to, to take a step back and reflect on where these ideologies and this, these languages uh, the, or the use of language is coming from and who it's benefiting and who it's impacting. And sometimes in order to do that, we have to really, I think, especially as women, have to stand up to formidable cultural systems. Um, So that's one thing that came to mind for Mm -hmm. me is, I think, having the courage to bring our whole selves to any conversation and to not hide parts of our experiences that would maybe... um, be threatening to the powers that be, mm-hmm. but uh, but to be honest about what it has been like to be living a different um, from a different place in society than maybe uh, the voices or the perspectives that have built some of the structures that we are that we are exploring in in academia. Um, so I think just like, like I said, the courage to show up and then. The courage to speak up when it's the right time, um, to really explore and sometimes confront and sometimes uh, push back on language, ideologies, ideas that ultimately are creating power dynamics that are harmful or uh, ways of viewing the world that are based on um, punitive behavior or, or constant warnings or dangers and instead turning the dial a little bit towards um, shalom and, and thriving for all, uh, just bringing our whole selves to the conversation and finding the courage to, to speak up about what we have found to be true. There's an element of individual fear and individual bravery, kind of person to person that mm-hmm. we're being called into, but there's also an element of bravery when facing um, institutional or systemic fears, you know, and, and you're talking about that, you know, in terms of showing up with your whole self, even if your institution or system um, is, is, is not in line with what you're thinking. And I mean, I just think, I think there's a, there are a lot of places where we can be brave. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. I, you know, the book, it definitely follows this kind of a, an arc where I do begin with, you know, kind of God and I wrestling in a prayer time about fear. Um, and, but I, it picks up steam. And by the end, by the time we're talking about enemies, I'm definitely looking at whole systems and whole institutional yeah. structures. And when the Bible says that we're going to overcome evil with good, you know, that's overcome is a very active word. I think sometimes we think about love rather than fear or loving our enemies as kind of a passive posture where we're just sort of going to tolerate whatever and we'll keep smiling through anything that happens. But um, overcoming evil with good and with love is, I can't think of anything more active and intentional and subversive than overcoming evil. And that's going to have to that's going to have to pull the whole system inside out. Again, not something, and that you or I can do. It's it's a group project that we can contribute to together. Uh, but I think that's what God has called the church to do, is to take a look at some of these systems of oppression and evil. And God, certainly, God's redemption is pulling the entire thing inside out. And how can we be a part yeah. of that? Well, and even in overcoming evil, you paint a picture of God as a nonviolent being. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I loved this, this chapter, this section where you, you talk about, even though there are stories that depict violence in the Bible, that God is, is at his core, nonviolent. And I mean, I, I think about this a lot, especially raising kids. I think about the violence Mm -hmm. in, in our world, in our media. And also just, I think that there's a sense of violence in maybe not always physical violence, but just in forcing someone to, to bend their will or to even stuff down their emotions Mm -hmm. that feels violent. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know if you have more thoughts on nonviolence or ways of honoring nonviolence in your own life as you seek to overcome evil with love. I'm just, yeah, I'll just leave it at there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, again, I wish we had several days right. to spend <laughs> listening and uh, you know, these are complex topics and they require so much kind of local unpacking, you know, there's so much deep understanding of cert- of scenarios and so much careful, intentional, nuanced application to individual needs. Um, I do think that we often miss the profound message of nonviolence that God is giving us through the biblical story, Um, starting with Noah, where, and it depends so much how carefully we read a story and how we tell it. Like we'll often tell the story of Noah as a warning that God, you know, destroyed the whole earth because of how horrible we are. And he's going to do it again, which is a very violent depiction of God. Um, Very terrifying actually. And it allows us, I think, to be like, and we're God's people. So we might destroy you Mm -hmm. too. Um, Which again, back to spiritual formation, that's a very formative approach to take to God and to our fellow creatures. Um, But what I think that story is there as is, is included in the canon to express is that um, God is telling us from the earliest stages of communication that violence cannot 
end violence, that evil cannot overcome evil, that God has hung his bow up in the sky and is never going to destroy us, that God is going to be working for redemption, not for kind of punitive measures. And we definitely see that in Jesus. Jesus, when God comes in the incarnation, God does not come as a tyrant or even a king or even a wealthy man, but as a member of an occupied country who is ultimately murdered by the state in the most humiliating and public way possible um, and does not retaliate, mm-hmm. but spends his time on earth going to the marginalized, the oppressed, the hurting, the grieving, the sorrowful, and being with them and saying, according to my value system, um, it's not the wealthy and the powerful who are blessed. It's you. It's you who are suffering. It's you where God's spirit is found. Um, That's such a remarkable statement that God made in the incarnation. And I think somehow we even turn all this around to say that God is um, God is going to destroy our enemies. And in the meantime, we're going to, we're going to destroy them, you know, while we wait. And, but God is, God is throughout the Bible showing us that he is not going to use violence to confront our violence. He is not going to use evil to overcome our evil. It's going to be God's love, God's shalom, God's creation and redemption that God uses, um, to overcome evil with good. And we're invited to be a part of that. And that is such an invitation. I sense that even, um, in the shape of your book and in your, you know, that you include those reflections that there's, that as you lay out some challenging teachings, that there's always an opportunity, always an invitation, never a sense of force. Yeah. Which seems very Holy Spirit like to me. Hmm. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't think that punitive measures are very effective that that's, that's us being motivated by fear. Uh, I think that God is inviting us forward in love. And that is what is going to make all the difference in our lives and in our Mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, Catherine, I would just love generally to hear what your hopes are for this book and for what it might accomplish in the world. I know it's a big question, but you've, you've, you've birthed a book and, you know, what are your dreams for it? Well, I do hope that readers will pick it up. And though I love to read a book on my own, I do hope that it will also inspire people to read in communities, uh, whether it's book clubs or study groups or Bible studies or church groups or whatever it is. I, I would love for people to read this book in conversation and really wrestle together because I don't think these are things for us to do on our own or problems to solve on our own. Um, I th- there's a reason why God called us into, into a body, into a church, um, into community. I think we need to do this together. So I think my one of my primary goals is that people would really discuss and wrestle with this together in a group. Um, And then that we would, that we would change the conversation a little bit. I do talk a lot about the language that we use, um, the ways that we, as it's probably evident to people who've been listening all through the, through the conversation today, but how often our language is about rhetoric of warning or dehumanizing others. Um, how can we change the conversation to be more like 
what we see in Jesus or in his, the, the followers of Jesus. Um, if you can convince me that someone is my enemy, our next step then should be to say, well, how can we overcome the evil that they are perpetrating with goodness and love, but also how can I love my mm-hmm. enemy? So I don't, I, that's just not an area of conversation that I'm hearing very mm-hmm. much. It's okay. I've heard a warning. I'm feeling afraid. Let's get, prepare either to fight or to flight, you know, to, to resist or to flee. And I'm not hearing very much about how as followers of Jesus, we can equip ourselves, clothe ourselves with love and with hospitality and to go out and truly make a difference and seek the peace and prosperity of the communities where we are living and to invite strangers and to care for the needs of those who have been oppressed and downtrodden and subvert the entire fear-based power-hungry system. That's, I'd love to have us change that conversation. That is great. I hope this for your book too. (laughs) (laughs) Just, so just that little goal, (laughs) just that one. But Jesus said that love could change the world, you know? So I say we give it a try. I find Catherine's hopeful vision for the transformative power of God's love so refreshing and delightful and true, especially as we consider how to live through a pretty dark time in history. Her book offers a vision of hard spiritual work paired with the great kindness of God, and it feels like a timely word for us all. So if you listen all the way to the end of the credits, I've included a bonus from our interview where Catherine offers some gracious wisdom from her thinking about our prayerful response to Russia's attack on Ukraine. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. And to ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this wisdom from Catherine regarding Ukraine. You know, I think it does kind of begin with loving our neighbors. Um, Who are the people in our communities who have fled violence? Um, Probably not this week fleeing Ukraine, but there are people in our neighborhoods, almost certainly, who have fled um, from something similar. And how can we have our eyes and our hearts opened? How can we have our lives expanded by being in relationship with these neighbors of ours? Um, I think they will teach us. They will show us what we can do in this present moment. Um, so I think reach out to reach out to our neighbors and, and get curious about the stories of people who have had a very different life journey than we have had. Um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of neighbors, but love our neighbors. Um, Another thing that came to mind as you were asking that is just, I think why it's so urgent. Um, Maybe I don't want to speak for Jesus, but maybe a bit in Jesus teaching and certainly for myself as I 
researched and wrestled with and wrote this book is that when, and I touched on this a bit earlier, but when we are being motivated by fear without the awareness of where, who's fueling those fears and what that has to do with love and what it has to do with truth, we actually become the enemies ourselves. You know, when, when we are constantly being warned that there is a danger coming, that there is um, something being taken from us, then we, we start to view a group of people as fearful and evil and we begin to resist them or at very least to neglect them. Um, there was a, and it's something that happened locally where um, someone in my town put out on a social media, kind of a local social media thing that someone parked their car in front of her house and started to approach the door and then walked back to the car and drove away. And, and she was terrified and she thought, should I call the police? Do I need a gun? And almost everybody like was like, this sounds terrifying. Like you should have called the police right away. You should have gone right out and sprayed her with pepper spray. Like you definitely need a gun. And I just kept reading through this again, being like, what did I miss? Like, I think this sounds like maybe an Uber Eats delivery person who realized she had the wrong house, you know, but I think we are all so formed by these warnings that someone is coming to harm us, that we just, our first thought is to not see a neighbor or a friend or even a stranger in need of help. Um, but, but someone that we must kind of attack first, lest they, lest they harm us. And what if she had gone out there and, and done something harmful to this woman? Uh, she would think that she was defending her home and her property, her life and her family, but she, she herself is probably the one who, who started an altercation. She herself would probably be the one who harmed another human being who's made in the image of God without provocation. And so this is my long-winded way, I guess, of saying we have to be practicing these um, steps of love rather than fear in our local, local lives and thoughts and communities if we're going to have any sense of how to deal with them on a global scale because we are so easily formed to view others as, as people that we must fight and even destroy in the name of goodness and righteousness and even in the name of God. Um, but if we have been formed, if we've been malformed by fear, it's going to turn out that all of these valiant efforts of ours um, have been in the name of evil and in the name of fear and in the name of misplaced self-preservation. And that that is a warning that weighs on me heavily. So that's a really roundabout way of answering your question. I don't I don't know what the answer is when a terrorist and a and a dictator decides that he's going to take over other people's lives and property at the expense of their life. Um, but I know how easily any one of us can become that person on a smaller scale if we are not diligent in rooting out these narratives in our own lives.